Welcome to the Buick Outdoors Podcast. I'm your host, Sheldon Marion, and on this podcast, we dive deep into the outdoors. We discuss hunting and fishing techniques, give you tips and tricks, tell stories, and everything in between to help you enjoy the outdoors. Do you want to become part of the Buick Outdoors team, represent one of the best Northern BC YouTube channels, and help us grow? If you do, then check out our brand new online store. We have a bunch of new merch set up and ready to sell. We have everything from hats, shirts, sweaters, cups, mugs, backpacks, pillows, and the list goes on. It's also made for men, women, children, toddlers, and we even have something for your pets. We have several designs to choose from and a bunch of different colors and sizes. Head over to shop.spreadshirt.ca slash Outdoors to check it out. That's shop.spreadshirt.ca slash buick outdoors and join the team today hey everyone welcome back to another buick outdoors podcast i'm your host sheldon marion and uh if you guys follow along with us on either facebook or instagram you would have seen that uh recently we just got back from prince rupert uh another great amazing trip down there uh we took off early wednesday morning i think it was around Five or five thirty in the morning, and then uh, pretty well just drove all day. Got there at now uh, right around seven p.m. or so. Went out, had a bite to eat, got a hotel room, went and said hi to Dad and Karen. Uh, they were there a week before, staying in a little Airbnb. I think Dad stayed three weeks in total. But uh, yeah, we had a great time. Caught our limit of salmon. And halibut. Uh, I don't know if we really caught our limit in uh, crab and prawns. While prawns, it's a little different with prawns. We throw a, a ton of them back. I think you're allowed 125 prawns, but there's no size limit, which is kind of strange to me. Uh, so anything pretty well, if the tail section is like three inches or smaller. We throw them ones back. They're they're really not worth your time to keep, in my opinion. I like the bigger ones. You know, we caught we caught some where uh, uh, we kind of call them like lobsters kind of thing because they are really big. You know, the total length is like kind of 8 to 10 inches where your tail section's pretty well 4 to 5 inches kind of a thing, you know. And they're really nice to, to keep those ones. The, the small ones are all right, but every time you go to eat one of them it's like a pile of work just to have a little tiny nibble of prawn so uh yeah we tend to stay away from the real small ones some people like them mm, i kind of don't i'd rather just stick to the big ones but uh yeah guys man it was a it was a great great trip uh we started off a couple of days there was basically just halibut fishing uh kind of get that done and out of the way especially uh considering the weather wasn't so nice the first couple of days uh pretty windy slightly high seas and stuff but uh yeah it was, it was great for uh for halibut fishing uh it wouldn't have been so good for trolling for salmon usually well with shelby it was her first time being on the ocean too so I was talking to Dad and said, why don't we just wait to troll for salmon until the ocean's nice and calm and the last two days 
that she was out there with us. It was nice and calm, so she had a she had a real good time. Uh, but yeah, when we uh, when we went for the halibut there, we have our own little honey hole. Uh, basically, with the halibut, you're in uh, anywhere between kind of 200 to 350 feet of water. Uh, what we like to use are the little spreader bars. Uh, some people like those real big kind of jigging spoons. It basically looks just like a lead weight with a treble hook on the bottom. I don't like those because you're, you're putting the hook directly into the dirt and stuff. And to me, I, I don't really like doing that. The big white tube jigs, they work really well. Uh, we use those out in, uh, in Port Renfrew, I believe it was. And they worked really well out there. But, uh, yeah, we use the spreader bars. Uh, they just look like a kind of a off-sided T kind of a thing. And you put your your big weight on the short end, and on the long end, we use what's called a halibut rig. Uh, it's basically two hooks, either connected by, uh, I don't know what the heck that is, real thick plastic kind of line. It's like several hundred pound brake test or it's connected by a cable kind of like a snare cable pretty well like link snare wire but uh yeah on the very end you have a big treble hook and then uh going freely is just like a j hook it's a big j hook but it is a j hook and basically what i do is i take the j hook and i put it into the herring's mouth and then i make it so the hook comes up to the top of its head and then take the treble hook and I go I get it kind of depends on the size of the herring really if you have just a regular old six inch herring then I'll come maybe about half inch from the base of its tail and I hook it so the one hook goes straight through the tail and then I turn it so then it, the the herring is basically just laying flat with all the hooks in it and then we use uh halibut butt juice it's kind of like a aniseed oil and fish oil and uh, there's a pile of stuff in there but basically what it is it's an attractant uh for the halibut it slowly kind of seeps out of your bait fish or whatever it is that you're using and it kind of creates a nice little uh scent trail for them to kind of follow and uh it comes with a little injector needle what I do is I put it right into its little butthole there, the vent, whatever you want to call it. I'm not exactly politically correct, so I say butthole because it's all on his butt. Anyways, I put it into his butthole, give it a real good squeeze until it starts to come out. And then I go underneath the gill plate, and I again, I inject it in, into the, uh, kind of like the body, whatever. You'll see it kind of expand as you're putting it in. And then once you drop her down into the water you let her go all the way down it hits the ground you hit the uh, lock on your your reel and what I do is I'll do kinda like anywhere between like 8 and 12 real short uh, bounces off the bottom bring it up I don't know maybe six inches to a foot and just tap it on the bottom real quick and then what I do is I keep my thumb on the reel 
and I just slowly pick it back up, like very slowly, kind of like a foot per second, telling about yeah, probably about four feet from the uh, from the bottom there, and then I drop it back down and I bounce it off the bottom. Those real quick and easy short little bounces, and then I'll sit there and I'll pull it up to where it's just about to come off bottom. So you can see kind of the tension in your in your rod there. You'll see the rods bent over slightly, but it's not quite uh, kind of doing that motion where you can tell that it's just kind of hovering in the water, right? And once I have that little bit of tension, I'll hold it there for just a few seconds, and then I'll kind of start over again, start bouncing the bottom that kind of 8 to 12 times in a row, slowly bring it up, drop her back down, and... I don't know if it's just my fisherman's luck or if it's the technique I got or how I rig up my herring or if it's the the butt juice or whatever, but man, I just slay the halibut. Uh, of course, when you're doing that too, you will get the odd arrow tooth flounder and stuff and they're kind of a pain, but they're, eh, a fish is a fish. They're pretty fun to catch. Uh, you can't really eat them though with arrow tooth flounder. They have some sort of a chemical or enzyme in their meat where once they're warm, it kind of just turns their meat to mush. So if you if you catch them and keep them on ice, their their meat is nice and firm and it looks like an edible fish. But as soon as it warms up that little bit, it is toast. So uh, yeah, I, that's also coming from other guys. I personally haven't tried it, but uh, maybe one of these days when i'm out there i'll just say yeah the heck with it let's uh let's cook her up give her a go and then i can tell you for sure that you can't eat it but uh i mean you can eat it but it's just not not a kind of a real desirable fish to eat uh as for our salmon uh once as we were done well actually before we get to salmon the days that we were catching halibut what we would do is we'd head out very early in the morning get our limited halibut and then on the way back in we would check our prawn traps and our crab traps and uh for the most part we did fairly well on our prawns uh crab not so much it i don't know if we were just there after a big uh commercial uh boat has gone through there because that does happen from time to time but uh, you know it. People gotta eat too. You know it is a business, and you kind of gotta share the ocean kind of a thing. You know. But uh, yeah, we were. It was it was strange. Every once in a while, we'd pull up a prawn trap, and you'd have whatever fifty to hundred prawns in it. Only about maybe six or seven would be the the size that we like to keep. The rest were just small, little, kind of like. Well, that one, it was like about an inch long. It was kind of a cute little feller. But, you know, it was just a bunch of small stuff. And we just call what we call rail dump it. Where you just have the net open. You just go over the rail. Shake it off there and let all the prawns swim away and go back down to the bottom. Because they're really not worth our time to keep. But, uh, yeah, we'd, we'd have two or three traps per string kind of a thing. And you'd... Every once in a while you pull up one string of traps and you'd have, you know, five or six nice keepers. And the next trap would have two or three. The next one would have, like, maybe even ten. 
you go to your next traps that are, uh, you know, maybe a couple hundred yards away kind of a thing. Pull it up and there is absolutely nothing in it. Like, bait wasn't touched, nothing. So you'd pick those up, try a different spot, drop them. And, and again, same thing. One trap would be full. Next trap, completely empty. But uh, I think that's part of the reason why Dad enjoys prawn trapping so much is because it it changes daily. You know, there's times where we'll set the traps on whatever marker that we have on our GPS and come back the next day and, you know, you'll have like 20 keepers. So if you have 20 keepers, no sense moving your traps, throw them back down, come back uh, the next day and there's one. <laughs> it it can be frustrating at times, but it, it's also pretty pretty fun and the same thing with crabs too uh with the crab you can only keep the males and they have to be six and a half inches wide on their shell and there's times where you just get into a big cluster of females or you get into a cluster of of males but they're all just real small ones so it's kind of part of their migration or however it is that they do it right they uh they kind of move around they're not set up in a cage on the ocean but uh yeah, it's all part of the fun. Uh, after halibut fishing, we went salmon fishing for a couple of days there. Uh, basically, you know, when we go after salmon, we use one of two things. It's either an anchovy teaser or a hoochie. Uh, a hoochie, it is nicer than the anchovy teasers. Uh, just because, you know, there's no bait involved. A hoochie is just a four-inch rubber squid. You put it on your line. You you rig it up the same on your downrigger as you would with an anchovy. Uh, but if there's any uh, strikes or misses, you just don't worry about it. You just keep going. You don't have to pay money for, for baits or anything like that. But it uh, sometimes they don't always work. Whether it's the color of the hoochie, color of the flasher, anchovy. You know, some days things just don't work. But uh, for us, it was kind of hit and miss. Uh, the anchovies definitely were working a little bit better. Uh, I was catching probably uh, two or three fish to every one that Dad got there. But Dad was using the hoochie. I was using anchovies and eventually he swapped over. But we were also fishing at different depths too that can be uh that can be a big big factor in it uh some years are are different like this year it was 60 feet that seemed to be kind of the magic number 60 feet with an anchovy on it uh, i think that was around that 40 foot mark with a hoochie and you know some years it's 60 feet we've had years where it was 30 feet other times we've had to fish at like 110 feet so like you have to experiment quite a bit when you're out and trying to figure things out uh also you gotta fish where the bait balls are uh if there's no bait balls like well, what a bait ball is too it's just a pile of bait fish and we call it a bait ball because when you're looking on your screen it looks like a great big ball of blue and reds and stuff and all it is is just 
thousands of sardines or anchovies or herring or whatever all swimming in one group and that's where uh that's where you'll find a lot of your salmon is just swimming around in circles on the outskirts of the bait balls and stuff so once as you find bait balls you just kind of go back and forth and you chase them around and you just try to stay on their heels kind of thing and then uh pretty well you hook into the salmon that are in the area and you can fish other spots but really if there's no food there the salmon aren't going to be there so it does take uh, a little bit of knowledge to know where to go and it quite a bit of luck too really i mean you can't just look at a big body of water like the ocean and say yeah the the bait is going to be right here today you know they they move they migrate they get pushed out of areas by salmon whales seals you name it right they their bait balls they're they're the lowest on the food chain everything is after them little poor buggers but uh yeah uh one thing i want to talk about too is how to properly reel in a salmon while we're sitting here talking about salmon and you know when you set her up on the downrigger what i like to do is put out about 10 feet or 12 feet of line and then that way when i kind of drop the rod back and i get a hold of the line i put onto the downrigger clip my anchovy is only kind of four to six feet away from my flasher that way it actually looks kind of legit and real to other salmon if that thing is 12 feet from your flasher you know you have to think that a flasher imitates a salmon coming up and hitting that anchovy with its tail and the anchovy sitting there kind of knocked out or injured or whatever so it has to be you know fairly close if not it just it looks weird for to the fish right and then once you have it all kind of set up and ready to go you put the the clip on to your line uh release the the lock on your reel and you release the brake on your downrigger and it starts to go down and then basically what i like to do is if i'm going to be fishing at say 60 feet like i was this time once as i see the numbers on the downrigger are at 50 I put my thumb onto the reel so it stops putting line out and then that last 10 feet puts all the tension into your line hit that lock button and then you're pretty well good to go and you're off to the races uh one thing too when you're using anchovies uh the anchovy teasers are just a real real simple basic design it there's basically like a little plastic holder for the anchovy's head to go into there's a pin that goes through its eye so it holds it into place and then the line goes through the left side through a little hole and it comes down there's a little treble hook on there what i do is i take that treble hook quarter inch to half inch from the base of its tail i put it straight through and then i turn it and then when you pull that line tight the anchovy, instead of being straight, has to have just the slightest little curve in it. And then that way when it's in the water and you're doing that kind of 2 to 3 miles an hour kind of speed, it'll actually spin. If there's no curve in your anchovy, it won't spin at all and it just looks weird. And if you put too much tension in there, 
it'll spin, but man, it'll make you dizzy if you watch it, because it just, it, oh man, it's like a little turbine in there, <laughs> it just goes like a rocket, and it, uh, it definitely doesn't look natural whatsoever, so you, uh, you can't really do that, but anyways, once as you hook into a salmon, you know, with that tension in the line, when the salmon grabs it and pulls, there should be enough tension that when it comes out of that down to your clip, it should set the the hook for you. But as a precaution, I always reel down a little bit so the rod is, well, the tip of the rod is, I don't know, whatever, level with the boat kind of a thing. And then I give her one real good reef up. And then give her a couple more cranks, reach over, hit your uh, auto return, whatever you want to call it there on your downrigger so it sucks her all back up. And then just let the salmon do its thing. Just slowly bring it in. You know, it's not a race. This isn't like the Bass Pro where you see them guys, you know, ripping lips or whatever. And they reel it in as fast as they can. Like, just don't do that. Especially once the fish gets to the boat. If they're not tired out and they see that boat, there's times where they just blow up. You'll have a little, whatever, five or six pound pink on and you would think it was a damn shark. It just takes right off. It flips out. It's not tired. And then that's when you end up losing the fish a lot. A lot of the times too. Because they just start jumping. Or they're twisting. And they're just going absolutely nuts. And then it's no fun whatsoever. So just take your time. Set the hook. Loosen off the drag. Let them run. You know... The thing when you're reeling in a fish too, if your if your drag is set extremely high and they can't pull line out, every time they pull, all you're doing is just expanding that little piercing, right? It was a little pinhole that the hook, you know, just took little tiny pinhole, but now every time he goes to run and take off, if your drag ain't loose enough where it actually can take line. All it's going to do is just rip that skin a little more, a little more, and eventually, instead of having just a little tiny pinhole where a hook is just kind of grabbing them by the lip, it's going to be a gaping hole, and you can put your finger through it, right? A tiny hook isn't going to stick around very long in a great big hole like that. So you have to be kind of smart about it, right? And that goes for any fish, really. And then also, once as you do have the fish tired out and it's up, kind of near the boat what I do is I stick to one side of the boat and in the far corner and then that way once I get them reeled up and they're fairly close say six feet from the boat the guy with the net will be sitting there beside you and they'll be ready and then all you have to do instead of pulling that fish up and potentially out of the water you just back straight up and when you do that it kind of it elevates that fish's head just slightly and as long as that guy is there with that net like he almost doesn't have to do any work he just has to set it in the water and you basically pull that fish right into that net otherwise what you have is just a cluster smuck of fish jumping around you going back and forth you're picking the fish up out of the water Buddy's getting the net hooked into the cleats or the downrigger or the rod and then, oh, it, it's just terrible. And then uh, once you do get your salmon into the net, pick them up, bring them into the boat, 
And what I do is I do not put the net down. I keep a nice, real deep, thick basket going on. So when the fish is in the very bottom, they're not piled up in the netting. The hook, you can see the hooks, you can see the line. The problem I have is when you drop that net, and if that fish starts to spin, every time it spins or flops or does any kind of movement whatsoever, it gets tangled up in the net. It gets the line wrapped around its head, and it oh, it's just a mess. Especially if the hook comes out, and then it starts to flop and turn and stuff, and you have all that loose net. Especially like a lot of ocean fishing nets, you know, the netting itself can be like four feet of net. So by the time that fish is done flopping around and spinning, you got like six inches of net, and the rest is just a big black ball of net line hook and fish and i'm usually the one that has to untangle that and i tell you there's been times where i just look at my knife and i look at the net and i go is it worth it because <laughs> there's days where you just want to grab the net and just start cutting to get the fish out like you don't even you know you don't even care you just want it to be done and over with because it's such a pain but uh as long as you keep that real nice deep basket you can reach in there you can do your thing you can bonk them on the head you can pull the hooks out you can grab your fish you don't have to worry about it and then another thing that i look for too is any tension on that line whatsoever i can honestly say that i have never been hooked while on the boat from actually no that's a lie i have been and i was pretty really mad about it but if you have any tension on that line, I just put my hands up and I walk away. So, nope, you can deal with it. The last thing I want to do is to have somebody with tension on that on that rod and on that line and have the hook come out and go up through my finger or something like that, you know. Or if there's tension and it goes flinging out and smacks somebody on the side of the head, like just once that fish is in the net and you're bringing it up and it's over the rail... I always grab my fishing line and give her one or two real good tugs and then that way it just you pull out kind of I don't know almost two feet of line each time you do that and then that way when you're dealing with your fish it don't really matter like there's no worries of you kicking the rod or whatever and accidentally putting a bunch of tension in the line and getting yourself hooked there's none of that you're uh you're pretty well free and clear uh going back to uh halibut uh one thing that you'll run into quite a bit is that you'll get arrow tooth flounders and they they look pretty close to the same the the fins are a little bit different they stop a little bit shorter instead of coming all the way up they kind of go to kind of like the shoulders kind of a thing where halibut will go all the way up to the neck it it's a terrible description but it's kind of the best i got for you right now but uh the flounder too they're they're a lot darker brown than the halibut the halibut are kind of a not quite a tan canvas color but uh they're a lighter brown right where the flounders they're they're much darker and then also the flounder they have uh like their teeth are way bigger than the halibuts but you can also tell when you have a flounder 
just by the way they they hook up. So with the flounder and the halibut, they kind of do the same thing. They'll come up to your bait, if you're using herring anyways, and they'll kind of grab it, they kind of suck on it, and then they chew on it, and then they swallow it, and then you hook them. That part doesn't change. You can't tell if it's a flounder or a halibut from them nibbling on it. But what you can tell is when you set the hook and you start to pull them off the bottom. If it's a flounder, you'll feel them kind of tug a little bit, but it's just like, I don't know. You're, you're pretty well pulling in a little bit more weight. It's, you know, there's not much fight in them at all. Where a halibut, even if you catch like a little 10-pounder, they do not like to come off the bottom. The bottom is their safe place. So when you reef up on them, you set that hook, you start to bring them up, then your rod, you'll see your rod just going crazy because he wants to get back down to that bottom. And as you're bringing them up, if it's a flounder, they they fight a little bit. You know, you'll you'll get the odd little bounce on your rod kind of a thing. But the halibut, they go nuts and they want to get right back down to the bottom and you'll feel it. Like it's, it's pretty instant. As soon as you set that hook, he, you pick his head up like that, <laughs> whatever couple of feet kind of thing and they don't like that at all so the fight is on instantly but then it seems like once is your once you got them i don't know say 20 feet off the bottom then they come up pretty easy uh if they're the smaller ones uh a lot of times what i do is i just i simply cheat kind of it's kind of cheating instead of sitting there holding on to the rod we have the rod holders there why not just put your rod into the rod holder and just slowly crank it man i could catch halibut all day long and not get tired by doing that if you do it kind of just like the traditional way where you just hold on to your rod and you just slowly bring them up man you are tired after bringing in one and even if it's only like a 10 pounder you're just dead tired because like <laughs> holding on to that rod and pulling them up like that as they're fighting and pulling back and I don't have to tell you, you're fighting a fish, right? But this fish happens to be in 300 feet of water. So it can be can be a bit tiring. Where if you just take it, put it into your rod holder, and you just slowly crank them up, man, you, you can do it all day long. Uh, once you get your halibut to the side of the boat too, uh, when you go to gaff them, it's best to gaff them on the white side. On the brown side, I I think they just have a little bit more protection because when they're on the bottom, you know, I think their white side is on the ocean floor and the brown side is the part that's on top and it's exposed. So if there's any predators or anything like that, they're going to come and smack the brown side of them, right? It has to be brown to be camouflaged, but it's also where everything attacks them from kind of a deal. So, you know, it's a bit tougher. Uh, they have a extremely hard gill plate. plate. So when you're going to gaff them, try to get the white side. Uh, if you can't, you have to go for the brown. Aim a little bit lower. You'll see their head and their gill plate. Try to go down a little bit lower. But uh, you know, I can I can say that all day long. But really, the amount of times I've smacked that gill plate <laughs> and the gaff, it pretty well just hits and bounces off. Or you might be able to 
get her in a little bit, but it's not quite enough to hold the hold the halibut. And yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure we've lost one or two by doing that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you hit them, hit them on the white side or hit them somewhat low, kind of the stomach area on the brown side there, then it's then it's pretty good. You uh, usually get them right away. And then what we like to do is once they're up onto the boat, uh, Dad used to cut their tail to bleed them out. And the one day said, so why are we doing that when all their blood goes through their gills? Plus the way I clean my halibut, I need all the the whole base of the tail connected. So then uh, we started taking rope. We run it through their gills, out their mouth. And we drape them over the side of the boat, tie them off to the the bow cleat there or the stern cleat and then we just take a knife cut one of the gills and it bleeds them out real good and then they're also in the water so they're staying nice and fresh and uh yeah it really really goes a long ways when you're doing that it seems like uh they just taste slightly better than than if you don't but even if you don't it's still good stuff like it's halibut right <laughs> Uh, and then speaking about cleaning my halibut, the way I like to do it, uh, there's really not much any difference in the way everybody else does it, except I don't take them off at the base of the tail. So most people, they make that first cut across the tail. I don't do that whatsoever. I just go from the tail in a straight line to their fin. And then that the fin there that's on their head, you got to keep that attached now uh, just for when they, they measure it so they know how long it is. And then we have a serrated knife, and once I get to that, uh, that fin, I take a serrated knife and I cut through the gill plate. And then down to where it comes out underneath the belly there. And then, uh, it's hard to explain, but you just run your fillet knife down the ribs to the base of the tail not cutting all the way through at the base of the tail you gotta make sure to keep everything attached at the tail for the way I do it and you just go from the spine run your knife along the ribs and just make several passes it, it you know take your time it's not a big race or a rush I also have videos up if you guys want to check her out on YouTube there uh, just go on to our page and uh the most recent one is from last year uh, i'll have a new one coming out here eventually but it it'll be a little ways away but anyways you go from the rib or the the spine you just follow the ribs till it comes out on the belly do the same thing on the other side so it comes out the back flip it over and again go from the base of the tail make one nice straight long cut all the way to the gill plate I cut through the gill plate and then again take my fillet knife go down to the spine turn your knife and follow them ribs all the way out to the very bottom and then when you're done you'll have all four fillets still attached at the base of your tail then you're able to just snap the bone take your knife cut off the two little tiny pieces of connective tissue there and then what you have is you have four fillets all attached at the tail. You have that fin still on it. You can wash it all off, make it look nice and pretty. 
and you can put all four fillets into one fish bag it's all attached and then that way if the dfo ever pull you over and want to check there's no messing around there's no tags and stuff where it's yeah this is bag one of two and whatever however it is that you guys do it now this way it's you just pull her out here you go here's four fillets they're all attached here's the one fillet that you need with that fin still attached on it you can do your measurements and you're good to go and there's no worries you know there's it you're good to go like it it's nice easy and simple and it's uh it makes life a little bit easier uh, as for salmon we used well I used to take it to the processor just because it was easy same thing with the the halibut uh, the processor and Prince Rupert though they're I don't want to say anything bad about them but the old owners are no longer the owners anymore and their prices went from 80 cents a pound to $1.25 a pound Things got busy, and the new owners bumped up the price again to $2 a pound. And then also for the crab, they were charging, I think it was a bit of a mess up, but it was almost like $20 per crab. Like, nah, it wasn't that high. Maybe $12 to $14 per crab to process it. Like, they have to cook it, clean it, package it, and all that. But uh, still, that's that's a lot of money especially when you're if you want to bring home your limited crab paying fourteen dollars per crab like it's almost better just to go out to the grocery store and buy a king crab leg and eat it really so i didn't take anything to the processor on this trip but what i did was i cleaned it like any other fish started at their butt put the knife in go up to the the tip of their jaw there open them up pull the guts out make that little slice right near the the base of its head there and then you just throw that all out and then i go underneath the fin and you almost do like a v cut so from the fin to the base of its head on both sides and then you can cut through the spine we always keep the head for uh, crab and prawn bait and then you cut out the uh the bloodline that's in the middle there uh, a lot of times if you have a little fillet knife and with that little spoon on there, a spoon makes pretty quick work of that stuff. And then we just rinse it all off, clean it up real nice, and then make sure we keep count of it all and get back to the uh, hotel there and bag it up. Make sure everything's all fine and dandy. Have your name and license numbers uh, on your on your tags there. Freeze it up, then you're all good to go. And we always bring a deep freeze with us so we don't have to worry about our fish going bad or anything like that uh for your crabs it's more of a pain than anything uh, if you want to take them home uh just for like kind of cooler space to clean them and all that it's easy you get a pot of water once it starts to boil throw your crabs in it once it starts to boil again put a lid on her Wait 10 minutes, pull it out, cool them off, throw them in a bag, freeze them. Done. It's ready to go home. The problem is, if you want to bring home even six crab, you're basically taking up the space that like four or five salmon would take up because they have to be frozen whole. You can't clean them. You can't take the shell off 
they have to be done whole and you have to lay them out so they can count them so you can't just kind of jam them into a bag and have them all lopsided or whatever like they have to be nice and flat and that way if they want to check them they can check them and they can measure them too you have to make sure they're able to measure them because if they can't they're ripping your bags open and they're uh, basically they're going to be measuring them whether you like it or not uh, for prawns you don't have to uh, cook them or anything like that you can clean them to clean them you just grab kind of the base of its head there you'll see where there's like kind of a hard plate on each side you grab there and you grab just past there on the meat if you're able to just twist and pull and their head comes off and you just throw the head out or what we like to do is we keep the heads and we use them for bait later on keep the bodies and I think you're allowed 125 prawns and uh, there's no size limit so if you want to keep 125 little dinky cocktail shrimp things sure why not go ahead that's that's you but for us we always just keep the nice real big ones we have a big feast on the ocean and then usually we, we bring home kind of maybe maybe 10 bags and then when we do the bags it's just like the big ziploc freezer bags and we'll put like 15 prawns in each bag so we we bring home 150 when really we could between me and shelby uh how many could we bring we could bring home like 600 oh i don't even want to think about that that is a ton of prawns like holy cow i don't know i don't even know what you'd do with that many oh you'd be tired of eating prawns after a little while that's that's for sure but uh yeah that's uh that's bringing prawns home uh while we were out there we had some issues with our prawn traps uh when the current came in there and the tide it pulled our prawn traps quite a ways that one day uh probably about half a mile it's either that or there is a problem with people pulling your traps and keeping what's in them and then setting them back in or they pull them and they just outright steal them uh the prawn traps not so much but crab traps it's it's really bad especially because you're so close to town for a lot of the places that have crab and it's not much work a crab trap you're in between 30 and 80 feet of water it's usually one trap on one buoy it's pretty easy to uh it, it's pretty easy to to pull them up like it's not a lot of work goes into pulling a crab trap where the prawn traps you're between 200 and 400 feet there's one buoy but then you have you know pretty well about 600 feet of line just to make sure that you reach the bottom kind of a thing and then you have one to two traps per string kind of a thing and uh, if you don't have a prawn puller you're gonna be working hard to pull them up uh, and you know talking about the prawn puller we uh, we pretty well tested the limits of the Scotty prawn puller uh, dad started pulling uh, the traps during the one pass that we'd like to set them in and he goes hey Sheldon I'm gonna need help with this one I said alright well whatever you know old timers are getting tired or something I grabbed that line and holy shit I 
I was like, something's wrong here. We're either stuck on the bottom or we're stuck on something else. But we could, you could feel that it was slowly pulling it back up. So we just kind of manned up, slowly made our way up, slowly got all of our line up. And what it ended up being was we had two of our traps that drifted into a string of commercial traps that somehow got snapped off of their lines like years ago. So we had two of our traps and there was six commercial traps that we pulled up. So we had eight traps getting pulled up by one prawn puller. And like the prawn puller that we got, it's not a big commercial prawn puller. It's just your regular old Scotty prawn puller. Like that thing is tough. And it was kind of funny because like as you'd be, you'd be going, like you'd be just pulling your heart out. And then all of a sudden the prawn puller would just stop. Like there must be a, a little fail safe kind of thing once it hits like a certain amount of torque or tension or whatever. It just gives up so you hit the red button there you shut her off let her cool down for a little bit fire it back up and start pulling again and oh man it was it was quite a workout and uh i'm pretty sure i got all of that on film and if i did i'll have to double check but if i did i'll have to uh make up a separate video just for that incident so you guys can see just how much work went into pulling them prawn traps it was uh now it was just pretty comical now but at the time it was not fun at all it i didn't enjoy that now it's good though <laughs> and uh to top it off there we end up pulling some uh some prawns out of there some nice big ones too was it worth the effort no Definitely not, but at least we got something out of it. That and we show we got to see some really cool hermit crabs and some starfish and stuff. So she was pretty, she was pretty excited about that. Uh, she's definitely looking forward to going back to the ocean. Uh, I don't think she quite has the old ocean bug as strong as everybody else, you know. But uh, she's definitely coming a long ways. I took her down to the uh, to the boat launch there the one evening because we. We finished cleaning up all of our halibut, and I kept all the scraps and stuff. And I said, "Well, we'll, we'll go down. We'll see the uh, the harbor seals." And that one, me and him, we were we were almost nose to nose there. Cause I was throwing stuff in there, and he just came up and he just kind of sat there and stared at me. It was pretty cool. He was ah uh, maybe three feet from me, just hanging out. He was a pretty cool little sea puppy. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, anyways, guys, I think we're going to cut her there. I'm glad you're uh, glad you tuned in to this or you, you're watching it on YouTube, listening it, listening to it on Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, wherever it is that you're listening to it. You know, I want to thank you a lot for listening. Maybe leave us a rating on there. Give me one star, five star. It don't really matter. Uh, leave us a comment or two on YouTube. Reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram. Let us know how I'm doing with this podcast. You know, it's it's kind of strange and it's it's still new to me. So I'm uh, kind of learning the ropes as I go. And I don't exactly really plan for this. I just sit down, start talking, and hopefully I can throw something together. 
Uh, but anyways, guys, I want to thank you again for watching or listening, whatever it is that you're doing. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're almost at that 1,000 subscriber mark. Uh, check out our new online store. And, uh, yeah, you guys, catch you on the next one.